Hey everybody, welcome to the Pro Edge Podcast. I'm your host Conrad, kicking it off here. Season 2, we're bringing back our most popular episode and guest, Dorian Willis. He is a... Uh, how, do you, how, how do I word this? Uh, he was shot 21 times um, in an altercation with the police, uh, turned to an Olympic athlete. Um, incredible turnaround story, so we have him back on and in studio. So looking forward to putting that back out and hearing the uh, second part of the story. Um, if you haven't heard the first episode, um, it's in season one in the 20s somewhere. Uh, Dorian Willis um, is on the the uh, label of it, so you can check that podcast out on YouTube, iTunes, all the platforms, and then catch up with this one. like to give a shout-out to uh, Rhino Rush, um, sponsoring Channel 99 Studios. Um, and to our producer, Tim Meyer, always working hard, always keeping the show sounding clean, crisp. Um, big shout-out to those guys. If, you, if you're in the market for uh, some energy or if you'd like to tone down at night, turn into Rhino Rush's Relax Shot. Um, I've tried it myself. Uh, it works pretty good. Um, calms you down. Tastes great too. No, that's that's not true. It's 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 a tough pill to swallow, but it works. Very earthy. <laughs> it's, it's earthy. Yeah, but it says um, it on the bottle too. Yeah, but don't be a bitch and just fucking drink it for God's sake. You already it's paid. A shot. What is it? Three bucks? Yeah, it's yeah. a shot. It's not like you're drinking two liters yeah, of dirt. Yeah, come on, <laughs> come on, guy. Just shoot it back. Yeah. Uh, try their energy drinks. Try their energy shots. They're uh, at all the local gas stations, pretty much all the supermarkets. I think locally they're pretty saturated. So try them out. Local company. Uh, right here out of Meridian, uh, Rhino Rush. Also, big shout-out to Jack's Nutrition. If you guys are looking for some supplements, get on down and see Steve and Dustin. They do it right. They've been in the industry, uh, you know, combined over two decades. Um, they won't oversell you. They won't undersell you. Um, they know supplements. Uh, they know the different blends, formulas, companies that are doing it right, companies that are doing it wrong, what type of testing and um, if you're a student athlete, whether you're playing at Boise State or any NCAA institution or any school or, or, or a fighter um, that has to pass drug screening, those guys um, have real good advice and real good directions on where to point you and what products are safe to take. Um, they don't sell the Chinese chicken there. So um, if you're in the market, uh, they're, I think, top 10 in the country in sales for a reason. They keep a fully, fully stocked. Like, if you're into supplements, that's where you want to go. Well, if you talk to Steve down there, man, he's like one of the most knowledgeable dudes I've ever met about he supplements. Really he is. really is. He is, yeah. And I mean, just try to price gouge you either. Like, he's extremely fair. Yeah. yeah. Extremely fair. So get on down to Jack's Nutrition and check those guys out. Hey, I want to say uh, to Muse Tattoo a shout out. Um, they do a great, great job down there. I get all my ink done by Cody Lee, um, great artist. Um, he's got a great, helpful staff there. They're good at doing your artwork. They don't rush you. They take their time. Um, you know, when you go to get a tattoo, it's hard to paint the whole picture yourself. You you really need an an artist to help you kind of broker in that idea. Cody's really good at that. And, um, you know, fair, cleanest, one of the cleanest tattoo shops I've ever been in my life, just super clean, sanitary. Those guys do good work. So if you're in the market for some ink, Get on down to Muse Tattoo on Main Street in Meridian. All right. In studio today, I have, as always, the handsome Tim Meyer uh, producing for us. He's so Lit handsome. Up. He's so handsome. <laughs> <laughs> 
I try. And I heard he's single, men and ladies. That's <laughs> <I laughs> fucked up. Huh? No, um, not really. <laughs> across from me, I got coming back uh, our most successful guest of the year, Dorian Willis. In Charles the house. Bosk. Yep. Nothing but trouble, though. Obviously. And then right? who's that uh, lovely lady next to him? That's Billy, his wife. Could you tell us a little bit about her? Yeah, man. I, that'd be a whole episode in itself. Um, my wife is an incredible person. Uh, we've been friends for 20, like 20 years. Um, our kids grew up together. Um, I never knew she had been in love with me since we met. <laughs> uh, but we, we've been together uh, for seven years now, married for five, and, and life has just been incredible, man, since we got together. She's really, um, you know, been my rock through through all of this. And, and uh, you know, she's she's if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be where I'm at today for sure. That's awesome. That's uh, I'll have to talk to my co-host on our other podcast, uh, Kelly for the CK Couples podcast. Um, yeah, you guys might be good candidates for that show. We look for like positive couples, influential couples that have worked through problems. Your scenario itself is unique, and and what you've gone through in life. So, yeah, I'd be curious to kind of dive into how you guys met, how you've worked the relationship thing out with all these different outside things. Because um, we'll just go ahead and kick it off. If you could give us a quick synopsis of episode one, I'll let you tell your story as far as. Um, uh, we're just going to kind of, if, if you miss the first episode, we're just going to have them kind of paraphrase what happened and uh, basically up to the shooting, um, after the shooting, uh, we're just going to kind of brief, briefly rush through that and then we're going to get to the part, um, Dorian's comeback, which I've been looking forward to. Super positive story, um, so please stay tuned in for that. Um, and with that being said, um, I just wanted to go out there because we had a lot of a lot of chit chat on the last um, comments and stuff on the last episode with Dorian. Um, just so you guys know, Dorian himself has never said anything negative about a, about the Boise Police um, in his storytelling. He's always been very professional. There were comments that went back and forth from BPD through me to Dorian on both sides. They were very professional. Um, I. I think what we did was just try to clear the air a little bit, and that works. So for this episode, we're just going to stay on the positive message. And, and I just wanted the viewerships to know that, that Dorian's been very accountable, very professional, and um, and it, and that and, and that reflects on both sides. So there's really no controversy other than what kind of people created. Um, the people involved themselves have been, have been um, stand-up about everything. So, Dorian, could you go ahead and kick that off? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and... and it, like we did, we talked a little bit about this before um, we actually started today. How it doesn't matter what what the topic is. Um, there's always going to be people on both sides that are passionate about both sides. And and um, you know, at the end of the day, the the only people that that know know what happened that day when I was shot are me and the two officers that were in the basement. Yeah. Not not the other hundred officers that were outside looking for me. You know, it's there's three people on this planet that know what happened in that basement. Yeah. Me and the two officers. And so where I kind of sit with that is um you know, I've reached out several times. You know, it hasn't just been once. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've reached out on multiple occasions because I would love to sit down um, across from these officers and talk to them. You know, I, I would really, really like to do that. I don't need any kind of closure. Um, you know, I'm, I'm way past that point. You know, this, yeah. this happened 10 years ago. So um, I don't need any kind of closure. I just think that it would... Um, it would be good on both sides for that to happen, you know? Yeah, maybe and, just talk about what happened. Yeah, and so what... When I tell my story, man, like I'm, this is what happened to me. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating any parts of it. I'm not adding any parts to it. This is what happened to me. And um, if, if those officers don't want to take the time to sit across from me 
and don't want to take the time to say, hey, you know, this is this is how we remember things and, and you know, maybe clear the air a little bit on yeah. on what exactly we all feel happened that day. Yeah. If they're not willing to do that, then then as far as I'm concerned, you can't jump in and, and say you're two piece if you're not willing to sit across from me. Exactly. You know, I have nothing but but respect and admiration for the police, what they do. Um, I'm real good friends with some of them. I'm not going to say any names because I don't want to cause any problems for them. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's some really great guys. And no matter what you do in life, whatever it is, right. if you work at a bank, you know, if you work at a gas station, it doesn't matter. There's going to be good and people, and good and bad people in every profession. And it's no different than the police. Yeah. And I think we kind of learned that um, through that last, like, like you said, it doesn't matter. If you're talking about the police, there's going to be a demographic uh, for sure, like 10% of people that absolutely hate him, no matter what, they could save a million lives a day. They're, they're just nasty, yeah. horrible, F the police. And then you, they're on the other side, there's a 10, 10% that will support police blindly. And yeah, no matter what they do. No matter what they do. And so, yeah, we, we kind of discovered that because you're the first person we've had. There's been like a controversial police situation. And we learned it wouldn't have mattered what the show, <laughs> what, what the content was really. <laughs> we would have got yeah. the same amount of comments on either side because some people just, they're just ignorant as bliss, right? Yeah. And they're just caught up in their views and they don't want to see it. And so. Well, exactly. And, and um, you know, uh, for those of you who, who have never met me, have no idea who I am, like, I absolutely encourage you to check out the, the first episode that we right. did um, because you're, you're missing a whole lot. Uh, if you don't jump back and and listen, that it was an awesome episode, and it was, and uh, we we ended kind of we ended I think in a great spot because we ended right right after I got shot, and so right. at that point, all anybody's heard is you know what a maniac and and monster I was, and, right? And um and I also just want to be very clear, um, I do not blame the police for for um, what happened that day. If I hadn't have been um, caught up in drugs, I was a drug addict. So if I hadn't been doing the things I was doing, I would have never been put in that situation to begin with. Yeah. So. And, and in your credit, um, we do vet all the guests here and their stories. And I talked to Dorian on two different occasions before we ever brought you on. At no point has Dorian ever taken accountability for this. He always has. And so that's, that's one of the, one of the main reasons I wanted to bring you on is because I think the story we're about to get into is phenomenal. This is the best part. Yeah, and for any and, and you can relate it to anything. It's about failure. It's about um, overcoming circumstances that put roadblocks in your path that seem like you can't get past them. And so, like learning how you did that is what I'm looking forward to. So take me back. We're we're uh, give me the year, time, place. Um, just a quick rundown of how we ended up in the hospital in the coma and then when you came out of the coma where we go from there i think we left off you're on house arrest so if you could just get us to that point okay yeah so um uh just a re quick recap um started my first company when i was 21 uh was making a boatload of boatload of money you know i was at that age i had no comp uh no idea what saving money was you know as soon as i got it i was spending it yeah. and uh you know along with with all the money the big house came, you know, the drugs and the women, and that was just um, my life, you know, and uh, I thought I was living the dream, but, you know, looking back, I was miserable that whole time. Right. You know, I really was. It didn't matter what I had, the toys, the boats, the four wheels, none of that. Um, like, I used things to try to make me happy. Right. And uh, I think anybody who has been there know that there there is no thing out there that is going to make you happy. You know, it's it's not about what you have 
Uh, it's it's about what you yeah it's it's what you got inside and and what you're doing for other people that that is going to make you ultimately happy you know the human element yeah if it's all about you then then you're going to be a sad person for the rest of your life you know yeah it can't your life can't be just about you but um anyway so um when i hit about 26 is when i started really getting into the hard drugs and um over you know a two three year period uh that just took control of my life. I lost my company. I lost my, my kids. I lost everything that really mattered and um, kind of hit rock bottom. Uh, when I hit rock bottom, I was doing things that, that, uh, that still make me sick to my stomach today. And uh, ultimately, that, ultimately, that led me to um, that day, June 5th of 2008, when uh, the cops showed up where I was at. I took off running from them. I tried to get away. And uh, it, that part of the story, I think, the people are definitely want if you missed they, it you need to tune in yeah you need to tune in <laughs> yeah it gets it's insane it's something that um it, it's like out of a, a movie you know it really is um at the end of that day when they found me i ended up getting shot 21 times i took six to the left arm seven to the chest six to the right leg one to the left leg and one to the back and and so it's a miracle that i'm i'm still here today for sure yeah, 21 times. That's insane. But they didn't get the moneymaker. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or one of your tattoos. Yeah, or one of my tattoos. They, they didn't hit one of my tattoos, which was my mom was really upset always calm. Yeah, she's like, all the bullets, and they didn't hit one tattoo. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. So you were mid-20s, roughly, right? Yeah, yeah. And then you went two to three years on drugs? Uh, yeah, it was... Really, three years Meth. hard. It, it started. I had always, for probably since I was twenty-one, I had been a functioning cokehead. Okay. And you know, uh, I really was. I mean, I was running my company. You would never know it. You know, I had uh, had two two beautiful kids. Um, I was coach. You know, I was doing all these things, but you used it like a medication. Yeah, yeah. You One know, might say okay. And um, it was when I was um, about twenty-seven. 26, 27 is when I got introduced to meth. I knew what it was. I had, um, I had tried it once in right out of high school, um, but it was like a, a one night deal, you know. And then about, yeah. when I was reintroduced to it, and it was like from the time I, I I used it that that first time, it didn't stop for two years. I mean, every day I had to have it. Every day, you know, if I didn't have it, I just didn't function. Um, it ended up costing me everything. Yeah. Wow. So. Um, two to three years seems probably like a long time when you're going through it, but in reflection, that it doesn't take long to just kind of destroy your life. No. So, and to put it in perspective, um, it didn't even take two years for me to lose everything. It was uh, within six months of me using meth. Oh, yeah. I, I, had, I had lost my kids. Um, before the year was up, uh, I had my company had went under. You know, So within a year, really, um, I had lost everything. And uh, by the end of that year, all my all my toys, the four wheelers, the boats, the jet skis, all that stuff, I had sold it, you know, one at a time to support my habit. And um, uh, you know, when when I got down to all I had left was uh, my suburban, and the clothes were were in the back of it. Like that's how far I went down. I went from you know owning a four bedroom house out in Eagle, you know, the, with all the toys, like I said, you could imagine, down to Not a, a suburban that they were looking for because I hadn't make a payment on it for you know six months, and the clothes that were in the back. Wow. So you're. Sh- Basically, um, if I could paint this picture, you're, you've been shot 21 times, you've been in a coma, um, you have nothing to your name, you're going to prison. So how do we go from financial collapse, legal collapse, um, physical collapse, mental collapse, 
Yeah. It, zero. You were down. Full you were, collapse. You were whittled down to a zero percent of nothing. Basically, if we look at a human life and we go, what are the things that drive you and keep you functioning every day? You'd lost all that. Yeah. There was nothing there. My life, if you watch videos of 9-11 when the Twin Towers fell, that was my life. It, yeah. was, it was devastating. You know, everything just came crumbling down. And um, when I got shot, after I got shot, so uh, I was in the hospital for um, a total of, I think, about nine months. Um, I was in a coma for three. Uh, when I was in the coma, um, they could only feed you throw so much through a tube, right? So, right. you know, I, I started losing weight. Just It was coming off after about uh, week six. Um, they said that they just couldn't feed me enough through the tube to keep any weight on. So when I woke up out of the coma, um, I was 220 pounds when I got shot. When I woke up out of the coma, I weighed 129 pounds. So okay, literally half of me half of me was gone like I couldn't stand up I was just skin and bones uh, when I see pictures of me back then and I tell kids this all the time the hardest part for me during um, my stay at the hospital uh, was not the six hours a day that they spent ripping bandages off and putting them back on it, it wasn't you know the continual coming in and out of surgeries to repair this repair that like none of that seemed even remotely as hard as when they every day so in the hospital i was at saint Al alphonse's and saint Al's. i want to give a shout out to saint Al's, man because those people over there they saved my life they're absolutely amazing um, i can't say enough about uh, the doctors and nurses that that are there um, mm -hmm. they, they really did save my life but the hardest part for me through all that was every day they would be wheel me somewhere you know in the bed from uh from my room to CAT scans, from my room to take an MRI. You know, there was always somewhere in the hospital every day that they had to take me. And um, when they would wheel me into the elevator, that was the hardest part. Because you could see yourself. There was mirrors on all sides. Wow. And and so when they wheeled me in, I, I remember, like, every time they would wheel me in, into that elevator, I would start to cry. And they, I, I never told them why, but they were just like, oh, what? what is wrong with this guy? Like every time we come in the elevators, you know, I would just basically break down sobbing. And it was because I, I had to, no matter where I looked, I had to see myself. And uh, I don't, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one out there that's experienced this, but when you see yourself in the mirror and you hate everything about what you see, mm -hmm. when you hate that person that's staring back at you, that's a hard pill to swallow. That's a very hard pill to swallow. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah, so um, uh, <laughs> out of all of it, all of all the pain, all the, the things that I had to go through while I was in the hospital, nothing even comes close to that. And uh, I think at the time, that's that's exactly what I needed. I needed those mirrors surrounding me so I could really take a hard look at, at who, I, who I was, who I had become, and, and the repercussion of everything that I had done. Now, looking back, I'm going to jump forward here. Do you look back at this event as a blessing? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, and it's, people might think that's crazy. You know, this guy got shot 21 times, you know, I'm missing a leg now. And, and, uh, but if, if none of that had happened to me, um, and that's pretty extreme, you know, when, when you have to say, I, I'm, I'm glad that I was shot 21 times. I'm glad that that happened to me, uh, because it has, you could go either one or two ways with it, man. And, and people do you either take that and use it as an excuse to to wallow in your own self-pity and feel sorry for yourself the rest of your life or you use that as the bouncing board and, and come back and uh, that's you know it wasn't until i went to prison though that that the change started happening in me you know it, during my stay at the hospital i was still 
angry at the wrong people. I was angry at the police. I was angry at, you know, this person for not helping me. I was angry at that person. I was angry at everybody but the person that was responsible. You're a a victim. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and and that was probably, there's got to be some confusion there too, I think, as, as a human, because, you know, you're, you're angry at the police, right? You knew you were in the wrong to a degree in the lifestyle you're living, but how does that emotionally how do you how do you wear that how do you get past that point where you're like when does the self-realization come of okay so i am a victim in a sense but when you turn the switch off to go you know what me being a victim isn't making any progress in my life that came in prison yeah yeah so okay um and every time i thought that i had hit rock bottom like I had about four layers of more below money. that of, of shit that I had to to deal with, and um, You're a shitty Randy <laughs> Travis song, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> just all rolled up yeah. into one. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, so it, it was um, my. I, they sent me to prison. It was a federal charge, so they sent me to a federal penitentiary in Southern California and down in San Pedro, Terminal Island. Sounds like a, a fun place, right? Yeah. Terminal Island. Uh, Al Capone actually did time there. It's a really old prison. It used to be a naval base. And, um, uh, you know, as far as prisons go, I got to say that it, it was not a bad place. You know, I was 75-degree weather all the time. I was, you know, literally in the ocean. Uh, <laughs> prison isn't anywhere, anywhere that I wish upon anybody. And, and no matter how you chop it up, no matter where it's at, prison is prison. You have somebody telling you when to wake up, when to sleep, when to work. You know, it's every part of your life is controlled. They're rehabilitating you? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if that's... <laughs> what you want to call it uh but so when i got to prison like really that was where um the rock bottom finally stopped you know i'm, I'm sitting outside my sister lived in um, huntington beach uh, which is about 45 minutes away from where i did my time so i flew down and uh, i did what everybody would do before they go to prison i went to disneyland yeah to disneyland. <laughs> yeah it's just like the super bowl yeah yeah where are you going? wonder if they asked that in federal court. All right, son, I'm sending you a federal <laughs> penitentiary. What are you going to do? Well, oh, Your Honor, I'm going to stop by Disneyland, Disneyland first. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you there, wig-wearing fuck. <laughs> there was no uh, smiles at Disneyland, though. Like, I was really just um, uh, trying much not time to have a looking, breakdown. How much time were you looking at? For sure. Like, you could go in and maybe get it reduced a little, or you knew no. it was fixed? Well, so... Uh, Honestly, I thought I was getting five um, okay. because my charge was a weapons charge. Um, so when I went in, I really, um, I, that's kind of what I had expected. Um, uh, but when I went in, I think because of everything that I had been through, you know, the, right. year, the year before, um, <laughs> I think the judge was like, you know what, dude? Um, that's kind of time served. You, you've, you've learned a very hard lesson. And uh, so he gave me the the mandatory minimum that he could. And uh, so I I ended up doing two years. And um, it it wasn't until about six months because I I had my leg, keep in mind, for about a year after I got shot. It was just so much damage. I didn't have any feeling in my foot. I had drop foot. Um, The whole side of my calf was just basically an open wound. You could see all the muscles, you know, moving when when I walked. Like, it was kind of gnarly. So... Uh, we just couldn't get that to heal, and so when I finally got sentenced, um, they the doctor said, "Look, if you go to prison with it like this, you're going to get an infection, you're going to die." And so um, it wasn't at that point. I had been through so much that losing the leg. When, when they said, "You know, we're going to chop the leg," I was just like, "Whatever," and take it. Like it, and they, it kind of shocked them. They're like, 
people don't usually just say whatever go ahead you know they that's usually something that's hard for people to deal with like i said i had just been through so much that year before and i was just at a point where i didn't care i was just like do whatever you gotta do chop it off take them both i don't care they weren't like do you want to wait till after disneyland yeah. <laughs> 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 so um I, I went down about a uh five five or six days before i had to turn myself in um and spent you know a couple of days with my sister and and out of i have two brothers and a sister and me and my sister have always been the closest and um so when she took me that day, um, she took me and, and we're sitting at the front, you know, she pulls up and there's, there's, you know, 30 foot high fences with barbed wire everywhere. There's, there's guards walking around with automatic, you know, with semi-automatic machine guns walking right around. Right out of the movies. Yeah. You know, it, like when you see it, you're just like, like I was terrified. Like I was, I was sure that I was not coming out of there, man. Like in, in my head for some reason, I just, I thought that once I was in there, you know that that they were going to start throwing all these other charges at me because I had done some some just evil shit, man. And I was just waiting for all that to come back, come back to me. You know, I didn't think that I was I was. Um, you didn't think the old karma gods were done with you. Yeah, yeah. I I I'd just been hit and hit at time after time, and I was like, you know, it's it's going to keep coming. Once I'm through those gates, I'm not coming out. Like I I knew that from the bottom of my heart that I wasn't coming out of there. And, uh, you know, obviously that's not the case, but so, uh, um, where did you pull positivity from going in these, if, if there was any, like if were these small moments, where did you, where did you pull your hope from or what gave you some it, a sense of strength? It wasn't about, um, till about six months in really like I, so your days were most, mostly just fucksville. Yeah. For, for about six months. Wow. Okay. You know, um, just depressed and depressed. I, I had a hard time. Um, doing getting out of bed, you know, it was just really. Um, and I, th I think there's something to be said when you're physically, like when you can't function like you normally do. Walk through the mall or whatever you did, manual labor. Um, if you're not exerting yourself physically, so to be in a hospital and then have those medical conditions, God, yeah. Not only are you dealing with all that stuff, you don't you don't get to exercise, you don't get to really walk around much or get kind of what you need to keep your body happy yeah and so and i think anybody and everybody who um you know is who exercises in the gym that's you your body needs that man you yeah you if you're not taking care of yourself and and i'm still guilty of it there's there's times where um i start to feel like shit because i'm not taking care of myself right you know? and you know luckily i have an amazing wife who um always points that out hey shithead start taking care of yourself <laughs> and so um but that first six months and I had just got my, my first leg, like two weeks. And so I could barely walk on this thing, you know, like every time I took a step, like it was excruciating pain. Wow. And, um, so, um, I hobbled my, my way up to the front gates and I told my sister when we got there, cause she started crying. I was like, look, I, I don't want you to see, me. I don't want you, I don't want you to see this leave, like yeah. get out of here. And she's like, I can't. And I was like, sis, I'm, I'm not going to sit here with you. I got to get out. So I got out of the car and, and I walked to the gates and I knew like she, I know she didn't leave, you know, she sat there and probably cried in her car mm -hmm. until the, the, you know, the door shut and, and who knows how long she sat there after that. But, um, uh, I, I, I couldn't look back because I knew if I looked back that, that I was going to lose it, that I was just, that I was going to lose it. So I, I couldn't look back. I just sat there at the gates and, and, um, smoked like five packs of cigarettes with waiting room, oh, just yeah. one after one, you know, until they came and got me. And so, um, that first six months, once again, it, it was just really a lot of, uh, depression. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Um, I wasn't exactly making any friends there. I, you know, I didn't care to make friends. I was there to do my time and get done. 
And um, my sister, uh, six months into this, sends me a letter. And at the time, there was very few people that were talking to me because of everything I had done. And I don't blame them one bit. You know, my mom was, was still talking to me and my sister. And um, that was about it. And um, so uh, I get this letter from my sister six months in. And in the letter, it's just a short letter. And, and she said, look, you know, I can't stop thinking about you. I just want you to know you are still here for a reason. And I love you. <laughs> That's all it took, man. And but, but what really, when I finally saw some kind of light, was in that same letter that she had sent. There was a little, a little um, card in there, and um, it, I'm not, you know, a big religious guy. Um, but there was something about this card. There was Jesus sitting on a bench with a guy who, you know, a rough-looking kid, and at the bottom it said "Lost and Found." And and there was something about that card that that I didn't feel alone for the first time in years. I didn't feel alone. There was one person that still gave a shit about me. There was still one person that believed that, that you know, all the things that everybody was saying about me, that monster, lock him up, throw away the key, he doesn't deserve to be alive. You know, all these things that people said that I, that I agreed with, you know, lock away the key, throw me up, I'm a monster. Like, mm-hmm. you start to believe that when that's all you hear for, for right. so long. You start to believe that. And, but then here's this one person, one person who, who still believes that, that the good is is still in there and that that there was a reason why I was was still alive and and so I saw a little light at the end of the tunnel and I grabbed onto that fucking light and I didn't let go man and um so every day after that letter I just I just made a decision you know I have to, I have to change this if I don't do something now my life is going to be the same forever now do you think that card could have ignited your own subconscious absolutely yeah because I think you have to believe to the level from where you were at to where you're at now, you, yeah, that was godsend, and then maybe your, your subconscious believing, like that, flipped the switch on, like, hey, I can still. Yeah, just a, just a reminder, like, you know, my life wasn't always about drugs. Like, you know, I'm I used to be a great guy, man. You know, I, yeah, I, I have tons and tons of friends in this community. I've been around here since 1990. You know, so um, I I know a lot a lot of people around Boise. And, and um, I wasn't a monster and I wasn't a piece of shit. I had just done some really dumb shit when I was using and it made me somebody that I wasn't. And so um, every day, like I said, I just started taking steps forward. I, I just made sure that if, if I was going to take a step, it was going to be in the right direction. So every day I started hobbling my ass down to the, uh, to the weight pile, you know, walk, doing laps around the track and, and trying to get stronger physically. And that really... Um, carried on into the mental state because when you start feeling good physically then you yeah. then you start feeling good mentally and um so uh, you know it was probably two or three months after i got that letter um you know I, i'm starting to feel really good I, i'm probably uh, you know in better shape than i had been in in years and um I started making some really incredible friends down there um, while I was in prison. I was really fortunate to be around the group of guys um, in prison that I was at. I was in, um, they had cells over on one side of the prison and then um, dorms on the other side. And so uh, the dorm that I was in, uh, I was just really surrounded by a great, great group of guys. And, um, you know, you don't find that in prison, you know, people have this idea that everybody in there is is just these horrible people and, and we're all just people. We all make mistakes. The only difference is I got caught, you know, and so yeah. these people, you know, none of us are, are 
guilt-free and none of us are, are right. innocent. We've all done shit in our life that probably could have got us thrown in jail. It's just, I got caught. Yeah, and I think there has to be a path to redemption unless it's, you know, there's some things in life that people do or are, are, are out there. Yeah. For yeah. the most part, as a society, we need a path uh, to redemption. And all those people that want to throw stones at guys that have made mistakes, and a lot of times they're fucking weird in their own elements. I don't know how many religious people I, I've met that have been sexual deviants. Oh, right? And or it, have yeah, all these. It's like, so I'm I'm always quick to ju- not judge, but like I put up a, a warning flag from now on. If I meet someone that's super religious and they want to put God in my face 24-7. Yeah, what are you Jesus doing behind how, closed doors? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know where I learned that from? My father, who's a detective. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's well, someone that deals with people. Like, you got to be careful with that. And, and as a society, just like people damning you for what you did and not giving you, wanting to give you a path to redemption. Like, man, we're human. At the end of the day, we're all Americans. And, like, so I, I don't like that attitude. I think in most cases there needs to be a path to redemption. Absolutely. And, and um, you know, usually it's the people that, that are so quick to judge and so quick to condemn you. Um, they're just hiding behind their own shit, and, and it, that's their way of deflecting, you know. And, and you're absolutely right. So in prison, and it, it's that holds especially true in prison because there was not one person that I met who, who you know, had their didn't have their, their face in a Bible all day, and every time they got a chance, you know, they're preaching, you know, uh, they're preaching about the Bible. Every one of those people that I met in prison were the ones, you know, sexual deviants, you know, who would, who were in there because they molested kids, and and so it's yeah, it's it's after it's the first a, couple months you learn real quick if they got a Bible in their hand, you know, you don't want yeah, to yeah, it's here. a it's a rocky road, and and I'm not knocking religion, no, or the no, Bible not or, at all. I just saying like you know when when s- there needs to be a path to redemption, and when someone is that adamant about something or they want to cast stones so mm-hmm. hard, yep. my red flag goes up like, what are they doing? Yeah, mm-hmm. They're doing something. Yep. Right? If they want to damn you so goddamn much because yep. of, and not give you a path of redemption, who are they touching? And once, yeah, once <laughs> again, what, what are you doing behind closed doors? Exactly. It, it, so, but prison, uh, once again, I, I don't, it's not somewhere where I wish on anybody, man. It's not a pleasant pre- uh, place by any means. Um, but I was, I was really fortunate to be surrounded by the guys that I was in there, and, and they made a big difference on how I did my time. And uh, so every day I was just, you know, working on, on making myself better. I started trying to repair the relationships the best that I could in prison. I was writing, you know, my family, my nieces, my brothers, letters, just, you know, trying to, to put some kind of foundation there for when I got out. And uh, so by the time I got out, um, I served, uh, I served a year and a half and then I was, uh, and I had to do six months halfway house. So when I got out, um, I went directly to the house, uh, halfway house. But when I got out, I just, I, I had a different mindset than I had ever had before. And, and for the first time in my life, um, I, I had no idea what I was going to do. I just knew what I wanted to do. And so I immediately started um, going to schools and asking if I could come speak to their kids. And I can tell you that, that for probably the first year, I got nothing but no way, nope, nope. Every door was, was slammed in my face. Uh, but I just, I didn't give up. Now, isn't that... You know, you know why that door was shut too. Like I can, I can, I could sit in the school board as a fly on the wall and probably predict what happened. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. You've got a bunch of religious people for one, for mm-hmm. the most part. Let's call it what it is. Let's say eighty percent of them. Let's say there was one atheist in the school board <laughs> here, which would be phenomenal, but not happening. But like, so you got these people looking at this situation, and instead of looking at it like, okay, here we have this guy that that 
what we preach in school about failure in life with drugs, he went through it. The epitome. The epitome of it. The knowledge base our children could pull from him, from his experiences, from listening to him talk, would be phenomenal. Well, and and a lot of time... But they didn't look at it like that, did they? No, they didn't. And a lot of time with these schools... They think that they're protecting their kids by not talking about it. And that's the worst, worst fucking thing, thing you that you do. can do. You know, it's the worst thing that you can do. I tell people that are too weird with their kids. I have I have a friend, for example, and they were their kid was gonna go to a church camp with the other parent that was a Christian denomination. I don't even remember the two denominations, but it's like Presbyterian and Lutheran or whatever. Right. right? And they they went all off on the the false prophet and all this and that, and they're not gonna let him do th- and I, I've said, you know, if you look statistically where most fundamental atheists come from, they come from really religious Christian families. All, it's like 90% yeah. of your extreme yeah. atheists are from, and it's like, I don't know if that's good to, to pound that in people's heads. Well, and it's it's not good to force feed it into your kids either. Let them make their decisions. Exactly. You know, give, give them the tools, tools. And, and guide them the way that that you believe is going to be best for their their lives. But at the, at the end of the day, um, if you force feed something down a kid's throat, and that's kind of what happened to me. You know, I was I was force fed my entire life. My my whole family's Mormon, even though I grew up in the ghetto in Colorado. Um, you know, my my family and I can't. The Mormon religion has great family values, man. Like they I do, yeah. My, I grew up with, you know, my parents are still married. They drive each other crazy and want to kill each other most of the time, but they're, they're still married. You know, I had a great family uh, coming uh, when I was raised, you know. There wasn't anything that was missing. My dad was always there. My mom was always there. Uh, but the one thing that they, the mistake that I think they ma- made was was shoving that down my throat my entire life, you know. and Yeah, then you went a little extreme. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, they knew from the get-go that I was going to be the one, man. Yeah. yeah I, I think they knew from the time, of, you know, I was probably two years old that this kid is going to give me problems. Smoking a the rest cigarette of my on life. the merry-go-round. <laughs> as a five-year-old, they're like, where did he get a smoke? Little tattoos from the Cracker Jack box all over the place. No, so they, uh, I think they knew, but it was it was really force fed down down my throat, and and from a very very young age, there was things that I just did not agree with. That that, um, you know, when when you're that young, you can't really put it into words why you don't, like you don't feel right about going or you don't want to go. It's, yeah, but I I never felt comfortable in that situation in in the church, and so. Um, you know, when I got old enough to start making my own decisions, I absolutely did. You know, they, they couldn't they couldn't get me to go to church from, you know, about the time I was 13, 14. They had they just could not get me to go. Yeah. And so you think that definitely played a role on how you uh, flip flopped a little bit? Yeah, a little bit. You know, I I don't put much uh, stock, into, stock into that. Yeah. But um, it, it was definitely uh, I was always different than my brothers and my sisters. You know, they. So how hard was it to find positive people in prison to be around? Because you, you eventually made some friends, right? After that six months, that light turned on. Um, when I started being friendly, when I started, you know, getting out of my own. Did you attract them or did they? you get attracted to a certain group or a certain mentor maybe? It, well, so um, probably the biggest influence while I was in there and, and somebody that I would love to the day I died, K. Pook. What's up, K. Peasy? But he, uh, uh, this big, he's like six, six, sounds Jewish. Yeah, Cape easy. No, <laughs> that's a joke. <laughs> but, uh, he's this big, you know, like uh, six foot six, 350 pound black dude. Just, but the big teddy bear, nicest dude. He was a DJ down in Los Angeles. <clears throat> 
knew all these you know famous people um he was in there on a conspiracy charge somebody made a phone call from his phone and he was serving 15 years you know it's it was insane but um uh he was in the bunk right next to me and um we ended up becoming best friends but when i say that i was surrounded in, in that dorm by just the greatest group of di- guys i was so fortunate because my time could have been a lot different Worse. Yeah. yeah it could have been a whole lot different you know i, I had uh, josh k pook who who was my best friend while i was in there uh, my bunkie that was above me was this insane drunk irish dude um patrick o'brien uh you know i there sounds was, irish there was there was yeah yeah there was, i was just really but i was surrounded everybody that was i was surrounded with um they were just genuinely probably the, the coolest nicest guys that i've ever met and we just we were we were a family back there you know and and that made a huge difference on how I did my time. And also the beautiful group of people it was. Because um, it is no joke when you do get into prison, it is segregated. They yeah. try and... Yeah, uh, black, white, yeah, Mexican. So, and this group was the least of the segregated. Yeah. You had black, Mexican, white, My Irish prison brother. picks. Yeah, so yeah. it's amazing. You Any, don't find pictures like that Anybody who's <laughs> seen prison pics, it's always just a group of white dudes or a group of black dudes and or, you know, right. a group of Mexicans all, all have that same pose in the pictures, you know. it's But uh, in my... The prison picks, the few prison picks that I have, there's me, Josh, a big, big old black guy, um, Pete, who is the the uh, black shot caller. Um, you know, he's in a wheelchair. He's from Compton. I had my Irish uh, roommate or my Irish bunkie. Um, then Sammy Silva, who was uh, one of the Mexican shot callers. Like there was the most motley crew uh, of people in in my prison picks. But like, but you guys are like the Brady Bunch of the prison. Yeah, man. Like we we just. Uh, it was just a great group of guys, and we became, you know, best friends. And, and uh, I think I've seen just about all of them besides Pat, you know, since I've been out. I went and spent a, uh, a couple of days down in Los Angeles for Josh's birthday this year. And have and they all uh, have they all found a path in life? Have any of them returned? No, not one of them that I know of. Pat Patrick O'Brien, he's the only guy that I haven't talked to that I've been able to get a hold of since I've been out. But every one of the guys, but he's that drunk and Irish. Yeah, so he's, what are the chances? Who knows? Yeah, yeah. exactly. He's gonna <laughs> eventually. Yeah. <laughs> He'll turn up at a St. Yeah. Patty's Day somewhere, yeah, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> Patrick. <laughs> hey, fucko, it's it's Halloween. <laughs> no, I could I I could well, we do, could do a whole nother show just on the stories that I have from prison. Like there there was some absolutely hilarious shit that happened while I was in there, but um uh, no, every every single one of these guys, you know, I think when we were all just really on the same page with you know, we, we made our mistakes and, and we were paying for it. And when we got out, we all we all knew that that was going to be the last time we ever went back. So you go from, you know, at an all-time zero in failure, financially, socially, mentally, you name physically. Mm-hmm. Six months in, um, you get a card with, like, Jesus on a bench. It, it maybe flips your subconscious. It just lets you know you're not alone. Yeah. Yep. And that you could still do some stuff that you're a good person deep down inside. And I think for a lot of people, um, I know for me with, with my problems with alcohol, it seems when I quit drinking, it's been over three years ago now, about a year in, I started to become like, like my old self. Like I felt like a kid again almost. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah. I think what happens is with anything chemically in our bodies, we start to suppress our emotions or handle our emotions with it, for example. Mm-hmm. And I think alcohol is a good example or any drug. We use it to celebrate to begin with. It turns into, oh, at a funeral or, oh, you know, I, I, I kicked ass at work this week. I had a rough day at work. Yeah, you, know, yeah. you start using it to handle your emotions. So pretty soon that's your emotions are kind of based off of that state of mind maybe or that wiring in your system physically even. And so um, that that change 
is I think real big. And when you mentioned like for the first time, like I felt like that again, that I, that rings true with me too. Like it's, it's this change that goes on where you start to feel your emotions again that are sincere. Yeah, with, and you start to see. Yeah, you the, start to see chemicals. who you are. Like, well, and remember who you are. Yeah, yeah. So you go from from all that, and now now you're seeing who you are. You're starting to believe yourself again. You happen to find yourself, um, and this would just be probably karma because of your attitude, right? Once you once you started believing yourself, you probably attracted yourself to the smallest. What are the percentage of good guys you could get around in prison? Yeah, and and that's what I I think about that all the time, man. You know, if if you get lucky enough to be, you know, maybe have one good person in prison that you're surrounded with, I mean, I would call that a win. Yeah, you know, because I mean, don't get it twisted. There is some absolute piece of shit people that that, yeah um they deserve to be in prison and and you know when they get out it's just a revolving door for them and unfortunately prison is not set up for rehabilitation it's not no not Um, for yeah they they can paint a picture however they want but prison their the programs they have are garbage the all you got to do is pull the data yeah and anyone with logic can go hey when we're failing 70 percent of the time we're doing something wrong something wrong yeah and and when you get out it's not set up for for success you know these programs that they have um are not set up to help you succeed exactly they're not and so when you get out of prison you have the card stacked against you now i'm a felon i have a violent criminal you know history um i've been shot 21 times by the police so i mean think about this i went back to school immediately when i got out too so um i got my degree i got uh, a bachelor's in uh, computer draft and design and i graduated with honors you know i i was i had straight a's through school but you think that when I go to apply for a job and I have all these credentials and all these things that I accomplished in school. Doesn't mean too fast. But, but at the bottom of that page, I had to check felon. You know, you think, who do you think they're going to hire, me or the guy that has the same credentials next to me? Yeah, and you know what's scary? How many felonies are committed in this country every day with just on the business side, on, on, on everyone's side, oh, paper, it, paperwork-wise? I, ugh, it's scary. It's, yeah, it's, it's and, insane. Um, yeah, I just... Mm. Yeah. Anyway. So yeah, they you know these these programs um, and and I'm with you. 110% pr- yeah. So prison is not that. set up for no, success. It's not. And so when you get out, you make one little mistake. You know, you're just trying to like I know guys they couldn't find a place to live, and so they got violated and sent back because no one will rent to a felon. Right. You know. So not only do I'm, I'm living with my mom again. Thank God. You know, my mom still loved me after all the shit that I put my family through. You know. I mean, I can't say uh, enough amazing things about my mother you know she really um she was the reason why i was able to succeed and she gave me somewhere safe to be so i could work on myself and 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 work on on getting through everything that had happened and so uh you know i'm knocking i'm trying to knock down every door i can and then i finally got my my break really when um idaho meth project um called me and approached me and they said hey you know you have an incredible story we we would absolutely love um if you came with us and, and spoke at some schools and I was like, absolutely, absolutely. And so, um, that first year that I was speaking with them, I ended up speaking to more schools and more kids than every one of their volunteers combined, all of them in the state of Idaho. So I, like, I just caught fire as soon as they let me in one door. Um, I, I couldn't do it enough. Like I, when I go in there and I was sharing my story, like I could tell I was making a difference. And when those, when you get done at the end of the day and, and uh, you know, everybody's getting up to leave and you have, you know, four or five kids every time that you, you go and speak to a school who want to stay and just, and, and cry and vent to you and, and hug and know that they are not alone. 
like that is powerful and and i found um uh, i guess you could say my redemption like i found my redemption in in helping these kids and giving them um giving them hope that no matter how bad it is right now how bad however bad you think it is like it's it's ultimately your decision what are you going to do are you going to keep going down that road that you're on and and keep feeling the way that you're feeling or are you going to make some changes right now use this point as a turning point in your life and start doing something great yeah and i think your story needs to be told more in schools well because yeah and there's there's this victim mentality going around that it's, it's yeah it's toxic it's, it's it really is. toxic well and even if you're even if you were a victim times 100 at some point you turned it around right and so you've you've that roadmap you were talking about and i've gone through it i've, I've experienced the same thing how, how to get employed how to how to rent a place how to purchase a home how to come over these obstacles that were put in your life from your own mistakes, but um, the redemption around them isn't real. Right, yeah. And well, so and so we expect people to, and like I said, in some cases, but so you've you built a roadmap on, you, you've taken paths that haven't been taken before, and, and you, through adversity that is uh, insane. So take me into that. Um, you're talking about speaking to these schools. You're affecting these kids' lives. Um, at what point did you start dreaming about becoming an Olympian? Well, so um, during during my my time in prison, uh, after that six months, you know, I talked about how um, I really started focusing on on getting physically healthy again. And so exercise, I was just exercising every day for hours, every single day. And so when I got out, I was, I was really healthy, you know, probably the healthiest I had been in years since, you know, high school. And take me back. Um, when does Billy come into the picture? So we're about to get to that. Okay. That's what I was thinking. That's why. Yep. So, um, uh, anyway, so like I said, we had been friends for a long time. Um, uh, but I, I, when I got out, I, I kept that momentum with, with exercise. Like I was in the gym every single day. I was just trying to stay healthy and, and it really made a, a huge impact on, on how I was able to mentally deal with, with those times, which happened a lot where I got knocked, you know, people were trying to knock me back down and, and, and keep me down there because that's that monster that, that I, I had been, you know, painted, like that's who people thought I was. Like I, I ran. They want the. They want their their proof of concept yeah, they, to come they, to fruition. They want me to be down there. They want me to fail. You know. Like, I mean, still ten years later, there is still people that that are out there that just are waiting for me to fail. That was obvious. You, you got a long long way ahead of you. Just letting you guys know, whoever's out there, you got yeah. a long way ahead of you. <laughs> and, and that was obvious. And on the contrary, you know, looking back, um, you know, I don't think I've ever heard you say a negative thing about anyone, as far as like. And that's probably, you know, that's unfortunate, but those people. No, you know what? Not, I'm not mad at I'm not mad at these people, man. I feel sorry for them. You know, if, if your life, uh, if you're that angry at somebody else you've never met, like, you have, you've got to start focusing on what's making you so angry, maybe, you that's know? That's a valid point, like, yeah. I, I think I think it's talked about sometimes with the, with the trolls. And yeah. Experience. We don't even acknowledge it anymore. <laughs> it's, it's And why would you? Why I would think you I went through our, our YouTube and just shit-canned our inbox because I'm like, I'm not going to go through all these. Well, and and think, and think about this. Negative energy or positive, but like it's like like I'm I'm barely on Facebook anymore. You know, I'll get on there and post uh, pictures of my job. But um, I I really started. We started really looking at how we, it was making us feel. 
um, when we would get on there, especially the like news. through the elections. Holy yeah. shit, man. Like it was just so, so much negativity on there. And so when I would get off, I would feel, Gross. I wouldn't feel good, you know? Yeah. And so I, man, why, why do I want to, I don't want to feel like this. And so like, we really are, are rarely on there. I, when I get on there, I'm, I'm just trying to post some positive, you know, positive yeah. stuff about, you know, check out, I'm going here, I'm doing this. You know, I, I try to keep um, people, cause I have a lot of people that are following me who, who have been following me through this, this whole journey that I've been on since I've been out of prison. And, and so many people out there have, have uh, been so supportive and, and I have just some great, great people in my life. And so, um, you know, I want to keep those people up to date with what I'm doing. Um, but yeah, the, for the trolls out there, like maybe you need to take just five minutes and and look at why you're so angry at what everybody else is doing and why you, why you want somebody else to fail so bad you've never met. Let me ask you this. So since you're a recovering addict, um, I've had my issues with alcohol. I think when you first get sober clean, it's f- fucking terrifying. You forecast everything you're going to do in the future. Oh, like, yeah. oh, if my buddy has a wedding, is there going to be booze there? Is there going to be this? Like, um, By the time that you made it out in back into the civilian world for your comeback... Were there ever any moments where you almost relapsed? Were that were you still forecasting? Had you moved um, on? Because it'd been a couple just, of years at this point. Just right, right when I got out of prison. So um, even though I like I, I had felt really solid in in you know my my recovery where I was at at the point at that point in time. But um, when I got out, so the girl that I was dating when I got shot. Uh, you know, I wish her the best, but um, she was just wasn't was, a good. There was nothing good coming from that, and right. she, there was there was no. That's the best way to put. It. There was just positive. nothing positive. Yeah, that was going to come out of that. You know, um, she was she was one of the people that really um, still was was there for me to talk to when I was going through prison, and you know, I thank her for that. Uh, but at the end of the day, like there was just really nothing good that was going to come out of that. And so um, I got out and when I got out of the halfway house, I actually we got a place. We had a place out in Middleton, um, this little house. That's where her whole family lives. We live right across the street from her mom. And um, it was probably a month um, after I'd been out and I found out she had she had been using. And there, I mean, there was drugs in the house. And, and um, like for, for two seconds, I was like, you know, maybe. And then, like immediately, like in that same thought, as soon as I was like, you know, maybe, maybe I should. It'd be fun to use with her one time. Yeah, I think, uh, like, I still people will talk to me. Like uh, my girlfriend was asking me the other day because she had a glass of wine, and she's like, "Does it bug you?" And I'm like, you know, maybe in the first year, I remember that intense feeling of missing out on something, even though you weren't. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because it had been part of my social life for so long. And how do I be social without a drink in my hand? You yeah, know? exactly. Yeah. But I think about year two, I've talked about it before, like my emotions, my mentality on it, everything changed. And I think it's because I've rewired my, my thinking and my body and stuff like that. So I was like, no, nah. I mean, the only time, I guess we went on a date to Amsterdam, and I was there till about 11.30, and I was like, I got to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> because there's nothing there for me after 11.30. People are right. starting to get drunk and yeah. loud and stupid, and so I'm like, let's bail. And I don't even go to bars anymore, but and two years ago, I wouldn't have walked in there. But now I'm like for, far enough along. But like, so yeah, that's. I think it was a good thing you probably did go to prison, because that gave you that... You said you were close, so all that time sober to overcome that's big because people still yeah. have those thoughts in recovery. You ha- it's part of recovery. You're gonna you're gonna exactly. fantasize about it. Well, and and you know with 
with recovery, unfortunately, too many times recovery also um, includes uh, relapse. You relapse, know? yeah. And and I, I've just when when I felt like that, like you know, maybe I could use one time and have a good time with her one night. Like in the same breath, I was going, "What in the fuck are you thinking, man? Like, yeah, you you've been shot twenty one times. Like, you went to jail for you just got out of prison. Man. You know, serving two years, you just got out. Like, why would you? And so, like, I was so angry at myself for even, even you know, playing with the idea. Yeah, like I was, I was angry. And so, um, it was like a week later. Um, I told her, I, said, I gotta go. You know, and so I, I, I packed up. Um, she moved to Washington. I, I moved uh, to my mom's house, and um. My mom that couldn't might... have been happier because my mom did not like her for the, from since day one. Like man, and so um, yeah, when I moved back in with my mom, uh, that gave me that environment that to where I didn't have to worry about that. Um, and really, at that point in time, the only people that were were coming around were my lifelong friends. You know, right? The the people that I that drugs weren't a part of their life and so all of a sudden I'm, I'm surrounded again by the people who really care and the, the people who want to see me succeed and and I was so scared of letting those people down you know that was part of my motivation for, yeah. for years was I did not want to let these people down I, I I cared about what they thought and how much you know just the fact that they were still there after everything that I had done these people are still here and they still love me like how could that be how can you love somebody who has done everything that I've done yeah and I, I think we talked about it last time but like when you're in an addiction a lot of times you're self-aware oh yeah and yeah. so for you to I you know I've let people down too over mistakes to live in that we all do yeah to live in that is a fucking nightmare it's not yeah. something to be, and so for you to, you know, acknowledge that and have that next opportunity, knowing that they're giving you the chance, but that must have been a pretty good feeling. Yeah, and and um, you know, the the people that that were there then, they're still they're still in my life today. Exactly. You they're know, they're, solid they're people, still right? there, man, and, yeah. and these are these are these are my family. Like my friends are. I've never been really close with my brothers, but but my friends, like those are my family, man. Like these these guys have been there since day one, and I could call them today. Doesn't matter what I need, and uh, you know they would be there. But so when I started getting in and, and speaking to these schools, and and I knew uh, with all my heart that I was making a difference, even if it was just in one kid. If I spoke to a, a school that had a thousand people sitting there watching me, and one kid stayed after and said, you know what? I, I, I'm going down that road, and because of something you said today, it was worth it. it I'm, I'm changing my life, and and that was worth it. Like I have kids message me still all the time that I, you know, I spoke to their schools, you know, five six years ago, and and they're still messaging me. Hey, I did this today. I did this today, and it's so it's so rewarding to see these kids, um, you know, the path that they were going down and and what they're doing now. It's amazing. Yeah, and I think we need to be self aware with all the divorce and and step parenting and stuff that's going on nowadays. Like. Kids need, especially young boys, young girls, whatever, they need mentors in their life. And if the parent isn't there to do it, um, in a lot of cases, um, people from troubled homes latch on to guys like Dorian because of their story and their, their mentorship. And and I think that's super important. Uh, and, I don't, you know, I think my, my, my mom told me several occasions and my, my wife has, has told me many times, um, you can't, you can't save everybody, but, um, at the end of the day, I I try like if if I have a minute, it doesn't matter if these kids call me at two o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning. I don't care, you know. If they're sending me messages, I mean, because I've gotten messages at all hours of the nights from from you know not just kids that I spoke with, but you know adults who have been watching what I've been doing over the um, you know the last ten years. You know, hey, this is what I'm going through. I don't know what to do, 
and I don't have the answers. And I can tell you one thing that, that with addiction, especially with meth, um, there is never an easy answer because when they ask me, what can I do? You got to let them hit rock bottom. Yeah. You got to let, there's nothing that you can do as a person for, for, and it's not just a meth addict, but especially for meth addicts. Um, you know, when they, when they ask, what can I do? You know, I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do that. There's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that you can do for that person besides love them. That's all you can do. At the end of the day, if you just show them love and, and let them know that, that they are loved, you just got to let them hit rock bottom because that's what needs to happen. Unfortunately, with methods, statistics are so scary. You know, what, nine out of ten people that try meth are addicted. Nine yeah, out that's... of ten. And, the, and people that get sober off meth, like the, the percentages of people that get clean off meth, meth once they're um, addicts, it's you either go to prison or you die. Yeah. And, and I mean, literally, there's not one person that I was using with during this time that did not go to prison. And it's what you do after that point when you've had the time to get sober. What are you going to do? You know, Some are of you, them are dead now, too, yeah, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I can't count how many other people that I, that I was using with um, that are dead. Yeah, you don't meet old heroin addicts, No, right? you don't. Not very Math often. addicts, really, either. No, not, not either very often. They burnt themselves out in jail or... Yeah, and, and for the ones out there who, who have done it, you know, I mean... I, I give you nothing but props and respect because it is not something that's easy easy, easy to do. To kick. Yeah, and so uh, you know I'm I'm speaking all these schools and and I'm I'm in the gym constantly and then my wife comes into the picture and this is where my life uh, you know gets really awesome and and you know this woman right here was was really the uh, found, foundation where a lot of this started. Um, both of us you know have um, fighting backgrounds. Um, you know, I, I boxed for a lot of years and, and my wife, um, Taekwondo judo. or judo, I'm sorry, judo. Yeah. So she did judo for uh, a long time. So when we, when we, um, when I ran into her, uh, she had, she had just gotten out. My wife, um, has done six less years, than 24 hours. Yeah. Less than 24 hours. She had wow. been out. And, uh, so I was dropping my son off to go play with her son and her kid ran up to me and goes, my mom's out. You got to go say hi. I was like, shut up. So I got out, you know, cause we've been friends and for a long time I ran over, gave her a big hug and, um, we sat there and talked for, for like an hour or two, just sitting while the kids were skateboarding. Um, she lived just a block away from the skate park. So we walked over to her house and, and when we walked in, she didn't have anything. There was a bed in the bedroom and, uh, my prison radio, yeah, her prison, <laughs> her little prison radio and like one pan in the kitchen. Like that was everything she had in the house. And uh, um, she called me that later that night, and she's like, "Hey, do you want to come over and carve pumpkins?" And I was like, yeah, "Absolutely, you know, come over and hang out with you." So I went over, and when I walked in, there was cardboard on the floor, and we, and we went and got pumpkins. And and uh, uh, I've just always valued her as a, a, a person, as a friend. She was always she'd always been such a genuine and amazing friend to me. And and so um, it was like when people say, I always thought that when people say, I just knew. That, that you know she was the one i always thought that was bullshit <laughs> until you met her yeah, yeah until until we um ran into each other and i mean it was like two or three days after we've been hanging out and i was like i never want to be without this woman i never yeah. want to be without her i think it's easy to be cynical on relationships and love and stuff just yeah because everyone gets their heart broken <laughs> um for absolutely. sure absolutely but um so when we got together when we got together we were just really on the same page with what we wanted out of life um we started looking for a gym and ended up at and uh, we looked for a boxing gym but we ended up at a, a mma gym called hardcore and, oh yeah and so we started um we both started training and and uh, every day at the beginning and and this is where things you know really started um happening for, happening for me in my athletic career um i had been trying to get uh 
a prosthetist to help me out and get me a running leg so I could start running. But I was also smoking again when I got out of prison, and so um, cigarettes. Folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cigarettes, not cigarweed. <laughs> not cigarette. <laughs> cigarette. <laughs> but um, they every day before um, before we pre- you know at the gym before we went through our, our routine at the gym, they would run a, a mile lap. And uh, so right when we got to this, it was um, at New Year's that year, um, just a few months prior, um, I told her I'm going to quit for New Year's and, and I quit and I, and I didn't pick up a cigarette, you know, after that. But when I got, um, uh, when we started training at this gym, I had finally got my first running leg. And so I was like, I'm going to run this mile. And, but the first time that we tried to do it, I made it like two blocks and I threw up. Like I, I mean, it was, I was that bad out of shape. And so, but every day when we go to the gym, you know, I would run one more block further than I did the day before. One okay. more block. And, you know, that's that adds I, up. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, a good lesson with life in general, man. Like yeah. you are not going to get where you want in one shot without putting in the without work. putting in some work without, without no pun doing intended. The, yeah. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> but, baby steps. Though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Baby steps. Yeah. yeah totally. You know, it's nothing in life worth having. It comes easy. And no. we've all heard it. And so, um, you know, every day I would just run a little bit further than I did before. And I remember the first time that I finished that mile, that was, I, I, there was a pride in that, that I had never, it had been a very, very long time since I had felt a pride like that. I, I just ran that mile on my, on, on this prosthetic leg that, you know, it hurts all the time, but I ran that mile, that entire thing. I didn't stop. And I, I kind of caught fire after that. We ended up um, signing up to do a 5K, the Dirty Dash. Well, hang on just a sec. Yeah, yeah. So I'm trying, to, I'm trying to figure out where you're at mentally at this point. So, yeah, you must have caught fire. Because yeah. you're, you've came out of a hopeless situation, and now you're running miles. <laughs> so yeah. the confidence must have just been building up. You know what I mean? Like, well, how are you mentally right then? Are you, like things are happening. You're seeing the karma, positive. Things. Yeah, when when I think really um, when when me and my wife got together, um, anybody who's been around my wife for five minutes, like she's she's just got this smile that lights up the room. And and when you're around her, you want to be a better person. And and peaceful energy. Yeah, there yeah. was. Uh, she was the calm in the storm for me. You know, she was she was where I found um, that peace. And and we were together every single day. And so all of a sudden, like my heart was at at rest. My my mind slowed down enough to where I could start appreciating. Sorry. Yeah, no, you're good. You're gonna <laughs> um, make me tear up. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was incredible, man. Yeah. Because here's this person who um she could pick anybody and she picked me right you know this this dude who'd been shot 21 times been to prison didn't have anything to offer her you know i didn't i i wasn't working uh, i was just going to school trying to get through school by typical dating standards yeah, yeah. I, I had nothing to offer you know but yeah she she loved me from day one man she she never looked at me like I was anything less than amazing. It's incredible. <laughs> Stupid feelings. So could you tell us? <laughs> could you tell us a little bit about about yeah. what you saw in him that made you feel that he was the uh, guy? Well, I tried to deny it um, <laughs> because I myself had just gotten out of prison and been on uh, quite the journey myself, and uh, I had told myself, you know. Uh, 
I, like I'm going to be like a nun for the first year I get out. I need to discover who I am in this world and where my place is and how I want to live my life um, and what direction I want to go from there. And so running into Dorian right away, literally 24 hours out of prison, I was like, oh, no. Um, so I really tried to pump the brakes on it, um, but there was no... Uh, there was no stopping. There was no stopping what was the going on. The brakes were broken. <laughs> well, you know what? I always, and, uh, I always have skeptical hippo eye when people are like, you know, you, you hear that in AA, you can't be in a relationship in the first year of it. Why? Yeah. Not everyone's the same, right? No, right. No. And in a lot of cases, it's been proven a woman, like I think they did, in, not to go back in time, but like in the 30s, they did this big study on what made millionaires successful. And the, the highest percent of them were happily married and had mm -hmm. women that were supportive, talking. Like, So I think there's a lot of value gained in that. Yeah, so. and <laughs> you know, it, it really was, uh, um, for once again, for me, um, I was already, I felt really good about where my life was going at that point. You know, I, I was, I was um, going to school. Um, I had no idea what I was going to do once I graduated, but, you know, I was doing something. I was doing something positive, and I was doing something good for myself. So I, I was going to school. Um, I, was, I was very love, healthy. You know, The love of a good woman can do uh, – what can it do for a man? Yeah, I think it, it can do phenomenal well, things. Well, look at, look at where I'm at today, man. Yeah. And, and, I mean, a huge part of my success – um, because this woman was right by my side, you know, when, when I yeah. started to falter and think that I couldn't, you know, she was going to get your ass up. Why can't you like you look what you've been through and you want to complain about doing this, like get your ass up. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, it really puts things in perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And when you have somebody like her, who's not afraid to tell you, you know, you're being a dipshit or who's not afraid to, to, to tell you, you know, you, you're not wrong in feeling this way, but but get up, brush it off, and you can do it, you know? And yeah. So uh, it was it was really incredible to see as soon as we got together, when I say my life hit, you know, somebody hit the nitros button, um, that's that's how I felt. So, um, you know, all of a sudden I ran this mile. You know, I hadn't ran since I was a kid, you know, um, since I was in high school doing sports. So uh, uh, we ran this mile, then we signed up for my, uh, a 5K. We run a 5K, and when I came across the finish line at that first 5K at the Dirty Dash, there's all these people, you know, just cheering me on. Yeah, yeah, it was it was an amazing feeling because people, I was, all of a sudden people were coming up to me going, man, you really, you inspired me. Then, you know, to see you come across that finish line, to see you running up that hill, like that inspired me. And, um, you know, I I never looked at myself like that, like me inspiring other people. But doing that one run, uh, next thing I know, we're signing up for a race like every weekend. We were running, you know, 5Ks, 10Ks, and then we were trying half marathons. So we're running all these races. Well, how you got to feel if you're on the sideline and you're like, yeah, I was going to run this, but uh, And then a dude with one leg sprints by I sprained by my ankle six months ago <laughs> in a fake football interview. <laughs> And then yeah. you come jogging past them. Yeah, it's gotta it be happened a, a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, all inspiration. It, 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 ha it happened a lot because it's uh, like, oh shit, girls, see that guy won't, got one leg. He's running fast. <laughs> I'm over here complaining about a hangnail. Yeah, it's uh, a a lot of people you know throughout the years have just it's it's been really it's it, it's, it's inspiring, yeah. And it's and thank you for all the people who've taken the time to to send me messages or, or write me letters, whatever it is, you know, just saying thank you for for being who you are, inspiring me to get up off my ass and, and get off the couch and get out there and do something. Like so, thank you to all those people who who have, who have said something to me and all those people who haven't said anything to me. I hope that that something that I do continues to inspire you to to do better. 
So you got the love of a good woman. You're competing in things like the Dirty Dash now. Yeah, when did the when did when did that dream? When you're like, fuck uh, this, I need to make it to the Olympics. Like I've I've always that just kind of fell into my lap, literally. So um, I started. Um, uh, I always loved being in the gym. I love pushing weights. I love pumping iron. And uh, I, I decided I want to do um, uh, a bodybuilding competition. And so that is a whole different level of training. Like mm-hmm. it's. Uh, it's brutal. I think physically, that's probably the hardest thing that I ever did was was uh, compete, get ready to compete in a bodybuilding competition. Um, so I'm, I'm preparing for this and I'm working my ass off because you know I I don't want to just compete like the 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 person in me. I, I want to win. I want to get up there and smash these dudes. You know that's that's my mentality. If I'm gonna do something, I'm not gonna do a half ass. Like I'm yeah. Think I'm of all, all that ammunition you got inside you because you've been through so much adversity. That's why yeah. I think guys that are are competitors or, or like exercise extreme. I think they have an advantage over other people in business and everything else because they've 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 stressed themselves and taken their bodies now into where you. Like you were whittled down to not like you had no means to, to be a man. Yeah, right? nothing. All that was stripped, and, and so to make it to there, well, like and, and so you have you had you can pull from um, from places from failure <laughs> other people have never even seen. Yeah, yeah. And, and when when you have that in your rear view, it's like I can tell you there there is a drive to never want to yeah never ever step foot in that direction again. Uh, but uh, like I just really um, there was a fire that that. Uh, that no one could extinguish during this time, man. Like, um, I just wanted to be the best, and, and I didn't want to just compete. I wanted to win. And so my first bodybuilding competition, you know, I, I was up in the class. I think there was, like, 20 other dudes in my in my division, all able-bodied, and I took fifth. So I um, I was really, really proud of that. So when I got up, you know, top five, get a, get a trophy. And so I got called out, man, and, and, you know, to do my first show and to beat out 15 able-bodied dudes, I mean, that was huge for me. And so um, I, I was doing that. I, I won fifth place in that. And then I decided I wanted um, the one of my coaches, um, Brian Mitchell over at Epoch, you know, amazing personal trainer. Um, I've been training with him, uh, and he, uh, uh, me and him decided that we were going to do some um, powerlifting competitions. And so uh, I did a few powerlifting competitions right after my, my bodybuilding competition. And um, I, I got seven, so far I've won seven state records and a world record for powerlifting. And wow. um, so uh, I was competing, you know, running, doing powerlifting, doing bodybuilding, training, uh, you know, MMA with my wife. We were just all over the place athletically. And so it was right after, though, um, right after my bodybuilding competition, I get this phone call. And uh, he's like, hi, my name's Dave So-and-so. Uh, I'm USA coach for um, USA Bobsled and Skeleton. We've been hearing your name a lot. We were wondering if you would be interested in coming up to Calgary, Canada in two weeks and trying out for the USA team. And I'm going, what? Like, who is this really? I thought it was a prank call at first. Yeah. Because I, I'd never even seen a bobsled in person. <laughs> never even seen it. Jamaican bobsled? Yeah. yeah. What the like, fuck's what? going on there? <laughs> like, who in the fuck are you really? Like, Jamaican. I, I, did, I thought it was a prank call, but he's like, no, I'm serious. Like, We've heard your name several times, and it was just because I was just all the over the map. Yeah. yeah, the athletic community, I was just all over the place. You know, we were just, I was doing so many different competitions at so many different levels, at, you know, high competitive levels that um, 
they they had heard my name a couple times. So um, at that point in my time I, uh, in my life, I don't know if you guys have seen that movie, um, Yes Man with Jim Carrey, yeah. mm-hmm. where he says yes to everything. Like that's how I felt my life was. Anything that was coming at that was yes. coming at me, positive. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And that it drove my wife crazy, but um, it really opened up some amazing doors for us. And and so when he called and asked if I would be willing to come up and try out, I said absolutely. So I um, ended up two weeks later uh, meeting. Uh, a bunch of the team in um, Pocatello and driving up to Canada. And, I, and one of the things I was terrified driving up there wasn't, you know, getting in a bobsled or any of that. It was making it across the border because Canada's just not like felons coming in. Oh, yeah. And so <laughs> I was scared true. that I was going to get to the border and, and, you know, have this amazing opportunity and it was going to get shut down and they were going to send me home. Like, I, I was terrified that that was going to happen. But because I was with an entire, you know, team of, of athletes, I don't think they batted an eye. They, we, they let me through. And I remember how relieved I felt when we crossed the border. I was like, now's my time. This yeah. is, I'm going I'm to shine. Like, that's the, that's, I'm going to tear this up. That is your sign. Yeah. And so uh, we get up to the park and, and we're, I'm training for bobsled, for the two-man bobsled. Uh, so they wanted me to be a push brake man for the bobsled team. So that I'm the engine, basically. They wanted somebody powerful that could could get a, a good start off the block, and that's what makes or break uh, make makes or breaks a race for bobsled and skeleton is your start. If you have a great start and you're fast on your start, that's going to carry you know down the track. And so Herschel Walker, interesting fact. You explode, yeah, because it's all about that power off yeah, the line. Yeah, mm-hmm. that six inch step. Yep. Mm-hmm. If you're once if you're one tenth of a second quicker than the guy you know next to you, you're, you're going to win. Yeah. Really. And a hundredth so, of a second. A hundredth of a second. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and these races, yeah. when you watch these races, the bobsled and skeleton races, they are won by hundredths of a second. Yeah. Like when I won uh, my first year competing, I ended up winning. Um, third, I was thir- third in the world, you know, and uh, it was, it was I won that third place by uh, by what was it two tenths of a second, mm-hmm. two tenths of a second. Wow, damn. So, um, but I'm up um, competing, trying out for the team in, in Canada, and I've been training for that two weeks um, for bobsled. So I've been you know getting beat the shit out of in the back of this bobsled for two weeks. And the skeleton coaches kept coming over, you know, and going, hey, dude, you are built for skeleton. Come try it. Just come try it. But when you're watching these guys fly down the track, and so for those of you who don't know what skeleton is, um, so luge is when you're going down the the uh, bobsled track, it's ice track, um, feet first. Skeleton is when you go down head first on a one-man sled. So you're watching these guys fly down the track head first at speeds, you know, 80 plus miles an hour. They're just a blur when they're going by. And I'm thinking, there's no fucking way you're getting me on one of those things. Yeah. There's no way. And so a dart to death. Yeah. <laughs> it, you know, uh, so they, I mean, but every day these coaches are going, dude, just try skeleton. And, um, you know, the bobsled coaches kept getting pissed off because they're like, leave my bobsled guys alone. They didn't want me going over to skeleton. And so, um, at the end of that two weeks, they were having, um, the first ever, um, world cup for para athletes for, um, for skeleton. And um, so uh, I was just planning on on watching the World Cup. I never got to see any kind of World Cup. I was excited. And um, three days before the the uh, World Cup, the coaches finally he one of the coaches, Mike Quick, he came up to me and he says, "Hey, do you want to be a world class athlete?" And I was like, "Yeah, that's why I'm here." He goes, "Do you want to make history?" I said, "Absolutely." He then get on the fucking sled. <laughs> yeah. And and I was like, "Fine, fine, fine. I'll try it." So um, <laughs> I remember sitting at the bottom of the track when I. The day I was going up to try this, and they start you, um, when you've never done it before, they start you, it's called the Domin Start, it's the ladies start, it, ladies in German, so um, they start you at the Domin Start, which is like, you know, different on every track, but it's usually about two-thirds of the way up the track. Um, you're going a lot slower, usually you're only hitting speeds around like maybe 50 or so miles an hour, and um, I remember just panicking, and so I called my wife, and I'm like, 
I'm going to die on this thing. I'm, I'm, you know, I survived 21 bullets and the skeleton stuff's going to be the death of me. And I'm just panicking, freaking out. She, yeah. And once again, she's always been the calm, calm in the storm for me. And um, she said, look, you look at everything you survived. You, you've lived through 21 bullets. What are you fucking scared of? Quit being a bitch and get on the sled. Yeah. <laughs> wise words from a wise woman. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, uh, that day I, I went down and when um, I got to the bottom of the track, I don't know if I was, excited that i was still alive or that um i I was just thrilled that that i actually loved it like it was it's intense man when you're going down head first and you got the ice you know literally half an inch from your face 80 miles an hour yeah 80 miles an hour like it's an adrenaline rush and um but i i fell in love with it the first time i went down i was like this is it like this is this is where i want what i want to do and so um they don't ever move somebody up the track very quickly like they did me but they wanted to see what i was made of and at the time you know i didn't know what they were doing but on day two which is unheard of they end up throwing me to the top of the track and they said you know it's not that different just you know go from the top and so it was way different but, <laughs> 30, miles, <laughs> 30 miles an hour yeah, yeah. Was, well it, it when you go from the top you get the g-force and so yeah, you, uh, I mean, that hitting, g's is yeah, something else you're hitting uh you know sometimes four and a half five g's on some of these turns and and so Whoa. you're finding muscles in your your neck that you didn't know you had trying to keep your head off the ice but um so i i, I end up having three runs that day my first two runs um i get down um after my second run and all these coaches and, and athletes were standing over looking at the time and uh time and clock all talking and kept looking back at me i was like did i do something wrong he's like no 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 we just want to let you know that um because of your times and keep in mind second day i've ever done this thing because of your times that you just hit on those two runs you qualified for the world cup you want to compete tomorrow i'm <laughs> going <laughs> yeah what like are you serious i have no idea what i'm doing and he's like look you're here why not and so um on day three of me ever trying this sport i ended up um competing in my first world cup up in uh, calgary canada and i took second up there in my first in my first uh race and um and uh so at that point in time um uh the coaches obviously they asked me to um if i wanted to go finish the world cup um over in europe with the with the team uh, we came home and we only had like a month to make it happen. So, uh, like we're we're doing fundraising and all these. these uh, yeah, a month to get our passports. <laughs> for, yeah, a month, a month to get that, our yeah. passports and mm-hmm. like we were scrambling. And so, um, you know, everything happens for a reason. And, and these things, um, all these opportunities that were coming my way, um, it, it's just a product of of not slowing down. Of, of every day, putting in the work. When when I put my foot down. Is it one in, in the direction I want to be going? And it didn't matter how little a step that was. It was just for, for you know, years after I got out of prison, it was just always a step in the right direction. I wonder, I'm trying to look back at your story and think about, like, the most critical point where your life could have turned back around in a bad direction. I think you moving from that your situation when you got out where you almost relapsed was probably one of the most pivotal points in your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, um, yeah, I'm just out of prison. Um, be self-aware. Yeah. And, and that's growth. That's rehabilitation. Yeah. And it could have very easily. And I, and you know, I've, I've thought about that a lot. Like what if, what if I would have, well, what if I, I I wouldn't have ran into her. I, you know, all these things that happened in my life because, because of the, that, step in the right direction because i said you know what no i'm not i'm not doing that those old behaviors that those old habits uh, those are the the things that got me in trouble thinking that i can have just 
you know, I can do it just one time or I can, you know, mm-hmm. those thinking, those, those type of thinking is what fucking ends people, you know, right. what, what puts you back in prison. Thinking that just because you've been sober for five years, been sober for 10 years, that you, I've got it figured that you can, out. Yeah, that, yeah. You can, that you can do it one time and be okay. That is not the fucking case. Yeah. You know, people ask me, how do you do it? How, how do you go? How did you do it all these years and not relapse? How did you go all these years without without going back down that road? And it's it. The, the answer is simple, people. Is it's is that a step in the right direction? Yeah. Do I do I want that life again? I don't want any part of that life. I have been given a second chance, and, and my life is absolutely incredible. Even on my worst days, my abs- my life is incredible, and and I'm surrounded by incredible people. I have an amazing wife, and and my life is, is beautiful. Yeah, and I think you probably, like me, I think at some point, too, maybe it's age, maybe it's whether you're going through recovery, addiction, problems, or whatever it is. For me now, I get to a point where I don't consider it, but, like, even in situations where there's going to be people going out or alcohol involved in a lot of times I look at the situation now and I go, does that add any value to my life if I go? And me and my wife talked about that just the other night. Or does, and, yeah. But with not just with um, your actions, but with your words, like are my words, when I open my mouth, is that adding any anything valuable to the conversation? Is it, When I speak, am I adding anything positive and valuable to, to what's going on around me? I'm trying to do this new thing where like, you know when you get a text message from someone, whether it's a business thing or whether it's whatever it is, a friendship thing, and you want to respond and you're like, you know, fuck, you're, you're kind of like you're irritated or you want to <laughs> send just that that flash. Mo- I have a 24-hour rule now where I'm like, you know what, I'm just not going to do anything for 24 hours. I'll come back to it in 24 hours if I feel the same way to see if like if it's a real emotion or just like an a reaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that I I give kudos to you man because mm-hmm. I that's probably something well, I that, fight that I should do I man. I screw it up. It, d- it doesn't work every day, no, but I'm like sure. I'm trying to add that to my life because it's like a lot of times I think as humans we just want to be loved and you know we're all we're all insecure in our own ways and stuff like that. We all make mistakes. And so when you're dealing with other people, I try to humanize them too and bring myself back and go, "Okay, let me think about it for a day because in a day you can you can reflect on it like what's their point of view where are mm-hmm. they coming from and, well, and um yeah so for me the the I think it's helpful but I need to do it more uh, and and I mean seriously kudos to you man because um I think more people need to do that like if we if we took five minutes to to really think about okay because I mean we all do it like I Trust me when I say I am far from perfect. Like, yeah. like I make mistakes every single day of my life. Like we we all do, but it, it's are we trying to be better than we were yesterday? And you know, at the end of the day, that's what really what it boils down to. Are are you just doing the same thing and hoping for a different result, or are you willing to do something different and, and see how it changes your life? You know, right. so um, like that's probably a good thing because I I answer text message emotionally all the time and. Um, I mean to be honest with you guys so after I did the last show I was like man these I came home I was uh, told my wife about you guys like these guys are great man like I had a great time with them and then when I saw that clip of the next show that you did mm-hmm. like I was angry I was like man they like they it seemed like the there was a complete reverse on um 
the attitude and how you guys felt about me, I guess. And so um, at first I was just angry. I was like, I'm not going back on that show. You know, forget this. But um, like it was taking a moment to, to step back and, and find out what happened with you and what happened, you know, with the conversation with the, with the officer that was messaging you. And, um, you know, it, it, I think you guys are awesome, man. Like, and thank well, you thank for you. having me back on. But it was taking a minute to go, okay, well, you know, what it, they're just trying to see both sides. They're just trying right, to get the, the whole picture. Right, the audience. Yeah, and um, you know, uh, for anybody out there who who wants to uh, wants to dive into this, like I encourage you. Like I think anybody can really go down and get the um, the police report on this. I don't think there's any anything no, yeah, holding public information holding you back. Like I encourage people to go down and 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 get that report and make your own decision off of what you read, what discrepancies you find, like. Like make your own decision. Like that's that's for you to make. But um, like I I have for never for you you've moved on. Yeah, like yeah. You know, there's so many other things happening in my life. Like this is part of my life, and it's part of my story, and it's part of the way that I can help people. And so I, I take the tools that I have and and the the opportunities that I've had, and and I'm trying to do something positive with it. And if you're not taking something positive positive out of this story and what I'm doing, then I feel bad for you. I really do, and I hope that you find some kind of peace and, and positivity in your life. So let's say we've got someone out there maybe um in their early 20s male or female um that listen to this show that are going through legal issues drug addiction um failure what would your advice be to them find something that that think about it step back for a second think about something that you are passionate about something that you love doing like for me like really health like gym the gym was really kind of my my block you know what what i stood on for a while and that's what helped me focus and and on on the positive things when i was in the gym and and, and i was letting out those frustrations i was letting them out on the iron you know what i mean so uh, when i walked out of the gym i always felt better that's part of my rule too i told we were i was having a discussion with my girlfriend the other day about something i was like i should have went and worked out like because i was mad about some transaction yeah. that happened that didn't involve but like i'm like before i was angry i should have just went to the gym because i find i think the gym does two things for you i think mentally it boosts your confidence and i think all these people taking anti-anxiety medications antidepressants man i think if they just stress themselves out physically mm -hmm. they would they would relieve a ton of uh, yeah. you, you boxed so we better, boxed man. how much are you thinking about your bills your old lady problems when someone's punching anything. you in the face yeah and when you're completely exhausted yeah. so you're doing two things you've and, you know, if, if you go back on the science and the data is how we evolve as humans, hunter-gatherers, uh, tribal, I mean, our bodies, we were built to not survive in nature. And how we survived in nature and came up is insane. But they, yeah, they were putting themselves in extreme situations physically, whether it's against animals or whatever, that hunter-gatherer mentality. And if we're not doing that to our bodies anymore, where does all that energy go? Yeah, I, I think it goes into stress and anxiety and i think for Absolutely. a lot of cases if i milk it at the gym or if i have a a great day let's say i go in there and do a circuit training just 25 minutes and murder myself i feel fantastic afterwards i really do emotionally physically i may be tired and drained thirsty but like mentally it it's such a good feeling to drain yourself and to forget about all the fucking bullshit in the world and just sweat. Yeah, and, w and when you walk out of that gym and, and you have exerted yourself and you 
you know, it, there's just something a, a, about doing that to your body. And there has never been a time where I walked out of the gym and go, well, I feel like shit now. Not ever. Not not one time, you know. So uh, it, it goes back to taking care of yourself and, and taking the time to take care of yourself. And and we're all guilty of it. Like I said, I'm guilty of it. Like this year has been really rough on me. Um, I have not been in the gym like I used to be because of uh, how much I'm working. And, and so, um, like, but I'm noticing that. And, and, I mean, we've talked about that to where, you know what, I see how it is affecting me mentally not not doing that and and not going in there and, and releasing some of those stresses and and so um you know we're we're just constantly evolving and and you know we may fall back a little bit but you know you just got to keep your eye on the prize and and you know there's so many amazing things that are still happening in my life that um you know I I will never never go back to that Where do we go from here? I mean are you I'm a pro, Dorian Willis, out <laughs> on the road. Um, I think what you do for students and schools and stuff like that, obviously you've got to make, you know, support a family and stuff like that, but what what does your future look like? Um, and what would you like to do with your story as far as... Because uh, it's got to be beneficial, right? Well, I the, mean, you can't, you can't not take some motivation from that type of failure and from where you have came from. So... Where where we go from here? Where where does Dorian Willis well, go from there's, here? there's been so many other like just incredible things that that I have got to do um, over the, the last, especially the last five years. Um, on top of speaking, um, I, I had the opportunity to start coaching um, at some really incredible camps across the country for li- uh, kids with limb deficiencies. And so the big one that I do, um, it's with an organization called Nubability, which is down in Southern Illinois. And uh, <laughs> I like the name. It's oh, yeah. it's, it's awesome. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So Nubability. Uh, so this year, uh, this is the third. Um, this was the third year that I um, that I've done the camp. Uh, well, last, 2018, you know, that was the third mm-hmm. year that I had done the camp. And uh, last year we had um, 175 limb different kids and 60 60 something limb different coaches from all around the country at this camp. Wow! I mean, it's incredible. They offer like 20 different sports, and and I'm their head track and field coach. And uh, so some of these kids, man, like uh, three of my kids that have been with me since um, from the first time I went and coached. Uh, three of my kids went and competed in junior nationals, and every one of them were uh, one goal, first place gold awesome. at junior nationals. And so, you know, having their parents, you know, message me with videos of the—I mean, it's just been incredible. But so, I'm coaching all these camps, and and that's something that um that I'm going to continue doing. That like I love. There's besides speaking, coaching is where it's at for me, man. Like I love coaching these kids. Um, I built some just incredible relationships by doing this. But um, also last year we put on the first um, camp here for kids with limb deficiencies, thanks to Bogus Basin and Recreation Unlimited. Um, we teamed up with Nubability and put on a camp here up at Bogus Basin, and, and we had the first camp last year. We had um, 27 kids with limb, uh, all limb deficient uh, come to Boise, Idaho. We took them up. Um, Bogus sponsored all their passes, um, uh, all their equipment, and these kids, by the second day, they were shredding down the hill on snowboards, skis. That's um, awesome. So uh, we're going to be doing that again this year. So, I have, you know, that's something that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, but the coaching and, and, and speaking, that's just really been, um, and all, all the athletics, I think that's just been kind of the 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 foundation for what I'm, what I'm working on, which is finishing up my book, um, going on a speaking tour um, to pro- promote my book. And so hopefully, um, you know, that will be coming to fruition this year. That's what I'm going to really be, be plugging away on this year. So Awesome. So it sounds like Doreen Willis is going to continue to help people. And for all those critics of your story and all the bad shit that we got, I would ask them to look at it like me. 
and say, okay, here's a dude that was, you know, running and gunning. And if I would have been the police officer in that situation, my training, I would have pulled the trigger, right? Not, I don't know how many times. But at what point do we sit, we look at you and go, look at the value he's giving to our society now. How many people are volunteering their time to help people with, you know, um, whatever disorder, learn how to snowboard, learn how to ski. And so the, the, uh, the path that you're on, for anyone to criticize you now, I think they're ignorant, for one. And for two, we need more people like you in this world, thank especially you, that, that have failed. I appreciate it. Because more can be learned from people like you. Listen, I've, I've said it before. I don't want some fucking, I don't need some guy preaching to me about alcoholism that's, that's some tie-wearing preacher. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> right. Give me the drunk guy that lost everything, including his wife and his kids. And I want to hear his story. Mm-hmm. How did he come back? Because yeah, I can pull stuff from my experience and, and you know, fill it in. So what you're doing out there in the community um, is awesome. And, and, and you know, I guarantee you those people criticizing you, what the fuck are they doing? Well, Not a fucking thing. They're so, online criticizing guys. Yeah, day in, day out for, for whatever they're, you know, whatever they're doing like that. Like, once again, I, I don't. I'm not angry at them. I don't, you know, I, I don't put any stock in what they're saying. And you I feel can't. sorry for you, man. Yeah. So if if through all this, and and you know what, this goes out to some of the cops out there that that still, you know, when they see me, that's that's all they see is that drug addict, you know, that piece of shit, that criminal. You know, I feel bad for you, man. Like, yeah. If, if all you took from this story was was, you know, if you're focusing on on what happened that day that I got shot, you know, what did the cops do? What, you know, is what I'm saying, is that really what fucking happened? Like, I'm telling my story. Like, this is this is what, this is my story. I, I tell it, I've been telling the same story for the last 10 years. Every time I go in, my story's never changed. If you look through videos from 10 years ago, yeah. my story has not changed in 10 years, man. This is, this is my story, and that's part of me telling it. I'm going to tell you my story the way I remember it, the way that, that I remember things happen, and, and you know what? If I don't remember some things, if, if there's something that, that I'm saying that is wrong, then, then once again, to those two cops that were involved in the shooting, come sit down across from me, man. The yeah, offer's still there. It's out. still on the table. And, you know, maybe I can learn something. Maybe maybe there's something that I need to hear from you. You know, who knows? I am never going to be against that. So we when, could, Yeah, we could even do it in a podcast setting. That, that keeps you know people what? on the honest. Exactly. Way. So, you know, if you guys want to sit down, I'm always, always willing to do that, you know. And uh, for those of you out there who, who had nothing but negativity and, and, and bad shit to say after the last one, like, once again, why don't you take time to really listen to what this message is about, what, why I'm here today on this podcast. You know, it's not about, about bashing on the cops. It's not about, about any of that. It's about what I'm doing in the community and how can, how can I continue to do that. And if I'm not staying, um, if I'm not staying, you know, you got, to be relevant, you have to stay relevant. And so I'm going to continue to get out here and, and put myself out there on podcasts, on the radio, wherever I can, because I want to stay relevant and I want to stay um, in the scene and I want to be able to help more because if I'm not doing this, then I'm not helping anybody. Yeah, and if you're super pro-police, and mind you, I, if the cops are doing dirty shit, I'll be the first one. I fucking hate it. I've been through the legal system. I've well, been I've been a part of a can statement. I get it. But if 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 you're looking at it from that side, take into consideration this. What is he doing now with his life? And if I took my time and energy off of what he did and put it put it on what he's doing maybe i would see a different light and and uh another thing people don't talk about that you've talked about we talked about it last time we've had conversations on the phone about it like 
you, if, if you're hating on Dorian because of the situation with the police, you got to realize he's friends with the current police officers. And Good dudes. Yeah, and so, like, those guys aren't going to befriend him. You, you, you know, you're always going to have... And Dorian's, like, we're fully aware, you know, there's millions of transactions that go on between the police and civilians every day no one talks about because nothing happens because it's good stuff. And I think Dorian's, you know, when... We we got I mean a mass of of hate towards him a lot of positivity towards him, and I think on the cop side they get the same. You oh know yeah, I mean? absolutely. Because I'm, I'm the sure. people and so there's this weird water to try to navigate, and well it can't be easy for you guys. I can't imagine well, some of the the stuff that you guys I, were. I just want the listeners to be. We can be critical, right? But let's be subjective on where you're at now, and and in reality, we could use. A million more Dorians in this country. For every Dorian out there helping, how many kids did you help up there? Uh, where, uh, the count all of them. Man, I, yeah, you affected all those lives in a positive manner. I mean, if it was, that's what we need to take from his story. Is if, if we got more people out there doing this and being positive, we can build a better society. So I think what you're doing is great. Well, and um, I have, you know, I've had the opportunity to, over the last you know ten years since I've been out. I've spoke to over a hundred thousand kids, and so. Um, you know that's that's just me speaking that's besides the camps but you know the one thing that i have that that nobody online will ever have and, and so this will give me an advantage from day one is my wife what <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know it's uh once yeah again, the cheeto eating uh trolls out there um you they know don't have, they don't have a billy and the the fucked up thing is, is you know I've done it. I've been tribal or saw something and been like, fuck those guys or done. Well, we've this. all done it. And but like I really think if you pull back the layers on this, this isn't a story about the police. It isn't a story about any of that. Not it's a story all. about redemption. That's just the components of it. And how we can take, I mean, the lessons that can be learned from your story are phenomenal. I mean, you are a failure. You had nothing. In every Literally sense of the nothing word. to build on. You are you're a candidate for suicide for sure. Candidate for revi- uh, recidiv- recidivism. Recidivism. I can never say that word. Recidivism. <laughs> recidivism. Thank you. Recidivism rate, which is I don't know what it is in Idaho, but in a lot it's of insane, states, dude. it's, it's, it's above seventy percent. Yeah, places, it is. Yeah. Right. In places like Baltimore, I think it's more like eighty. Yeah. So well, for men in Idaho, it's it's like eighty-two percent. For women, it's or no, I'm sorry. For men, it's like seventy-two percent. For women, it's like eighty-five. Jesus, yeah. Yeah. that is that is a failure in every in anyone to pull in the, every sense of the any word. Any judge, man, like, anyone that wants to sit down and go, this works. No, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. No, it Not even no. a little bit. At some point, I think the people of this country, what's happening in Memphis and stuff like that, we've talked about. My ideas, I think that that's all going to boil over at some point. But um, uh, regardless, let's let's cap it off, and we'll 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 bring Dorian back um, if he wants to come back. I'd like to dive in a little more, um, kind of what you're doing in in the future, and, and I'd kind of like to hear some stories. Maybe even bring on someone that you've worked with. Yeah, absolutely, man. Like hey. a kid uh, that you've coached or something like that. That would be awesome. Maybe we could bring some more exposure to disabled athletes and stuff like that. That'd be fun, and and maybe you know get the get the message out that way. But but just so the fans know and 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 everyone that's dealt with the first episode, it was our most popular episode, most controversial episode for sure, and we're okay with that. <laughs> like the popularity's good. We learned that there's two sides to this that you're not going to really sway. I'm going to try anyway and say on the police side. Look at what he's doing now in the community. 
do you want him out there or do you want other people out there that maybe don't that never committed a crime but fuck do they add any value to our citizens and on the other side too i would ask you know look at look at the side of 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 the police um and and realize there's millions of transactions a day that don't take place just try not to be so fucking cynical about both sides well, and, and realize everyone's human and and like i said if we can just get back to him i think what he's done on the police side i hope they look at that and then also on the the the, the side of of people that are pro police that want to hate you because of what you did i would just ask him hey i understand your views you're allowed to have them but but take a look at what he's doing in the community well, and that, that, it, that says something. If anybody can look me in, in the eyes and say that I have not paid my dues, you know, then, then, then we can have a discussion. Because and I'll fall back to what uh, every judge looks at on these same people that would say, no, judges look at what someone does in the community. That's a fact. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and by all means, everything that I've heard about the two officers that were involved in the shooting, uh, I've talked to other police officers because that was one of the first questions that I've asked uh, a few of my friends that are police officers. You know, uh, these guys as, as a person, like outside of their, their, their – when they're not in their uniform, like are they good people, man? Are they good dudes? And by, by all accounts, the two officers that were involved in the shooting, I've never heard anything bad about them, not, not one thing. Yeah, and I think, you know, a lot of times we forget um, – just because it's so common to see police every day on the road, to see some of the extreme fucking and insane stuff they have to go through, whether it's pulling dead bodies out of cars on the freeway. I mean, dude, police are candidates just like military guys for PTSD yeah. and everything else. Absolutely. They do a lot to protect our communities, and I think a lot of times we get overshadowed by the bad media and we mm -hmm. forget about all those transactions they've done that are good with the people. Right. And, and so... You know, I, I think as Americans, instead of um, being on a pro-police or anti-police, we need to be more like pro-American, figure out, okay, maybe this system doesn't work. How do we come together and make it better? And um, community outreach stuff is big. It is. And I think, I think relationships with police officers and former convicted felons that are doing community outreach is huge. It's yeah. fucking and huge. It'll be huge in a school. It will be huge anywhere. It's, it's a good... It's a good foundation to have, and I think it, it, it ties our community in stronger. And their, their chief, of, the current chief of police, who um, you know he was, he just got the job not too long ago, like a year or two ago. Bill uh, Bones. Bill Bones. Um, man, they got they got a great chief of police, man. That dude, I have I have nothing but, but praise for that guy. Like you know, is, and I, he is incredible. I've had yeah. uh, well, since I've got sober. We were talking. The type of people that have come in my life have all been super positive. I've attract, and I'm friends with a couple of Boise police officers now. That yeah, what just, you put out there is what you attract, man. Dude, they are just fucking great people. Yeah, yeah. great people. And like, I, I honestly am friendly enough with them now. Like, I fucking I worry about them a little bit because my dad was a cop. There's always that, and it, because I'm friends with them. But like, yeah, man, everyone's human. We're all Americans, and so like, I, I really want people to watch the first episode, take from it whatever you want. But look at both sides of this, and then what we could do community outreach-wise, either police, right. but but I think what you're doing in the community is super positive, and that would be my goal for the next show, I think, is bring on someone that you've coached, a life that you've impacted, because yeah. I think it's one thing to hear your story, it's another thing to, to see how your story has impacted lives, which no doubt 110% it's impacted a lot of lives, and so right. I want to hear their, their, their story about... I like to think so, man, that's, yeah. that's um, you know, that's why I do it, and... Uh, it's, it's guys like you that are giving me the opportunity to get you know jump on and, and get out there on a larger scale 
um, just so people know that they're they're I'm not the only person out there doing it, man. Like I know some incredible people that are out there um, doing it every day, you know, across the country. So um, I'm just really fortunate and blessed to to have some incredible people in my life and and guys like you that that take the time to to hear both sides. So thank you. Right on. And could you give a quick shout out to your YouTube channels and some of your workout stuff? Uh, so if you just type in my name on on YouTube, Dorian Willis, there's uh, uh, quite a few videos of me speaking. Really, there's not um, too many videos on YouTube. Of my workouts, but there are a couple uh, promo videos that we did on YouTube um, okay, cool. with with I my workouts. So yeah. yeah, there's some really, there's actually a couple really cool promo videos that we did, um, you know, uh, for sponsors and stuff that are on YouTube, um, leading up to the World Cups, and so those are on there. But my entire, if you want to hear um, what I go and I, I speak about and and the positivity that I try to share when I go and speak, there are several uh, videos on the. I got the opportunity to speak at the largest convention for people with disabilities in the nation. They have it down in Florida. It's called the Family Cafe. Um, they had over fifteen thousand people and so it was really incredible wow. um so that's on there um there's some really great videos but yeah check it out man uh, i'm all over the place so uh you can follow me on social media it's just uh, uh like facebook um instagram just my name dorian willis, dorian willis yep. and it's w-i-l-l-e-s so that yes. that's why people sometimes have a hard time willis? finding me willis yeah okay so a lot of people spell Not is is yeah okay. so it's or w- i-e no no, <laughs> no yeah just no, just, just is yep W-I-L-L-E-S is the last name, and, and uh, you know, I'm the only Dorian Willis in the world, so I'm not hard to find on social media. Literally the only one in the world, especially with that story. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, thanks for joining us, Pro Age Podcast Season 2. Um, we out. Out! <laughs> that went Jeez. well.